bless you. You may be seated tonight. Thank you. Thank you for being here this evening. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. Let's give these guys some love here. <clears throat> Would you take your Bibles with me, if you will, and go over to Luke, Luke, the first chapter. As you're turning there, a couple of quick announcements. Luke 1, Luke 1. Uh, National Day of Prayer is going to be tomorrow. It's not going to be at the, the courthouse square like originally announced. It's going to be at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. That's located at 6812 Jack Finney Boulevard. That is St. Paul's Episcopal Church. Also, Sunday, Rebecca and Denzel will be with us. Whoop, whoop. And so uh, we're going to be having our uh, missions trip meeting right after service. Uh, for those of you that are going, you need to bring the deposits so we can get our tickets booked. That's going to be right after church on Sunday. Diaper Bank Outreach is going to be Tuesday, May 9th. Empty Nesters, Saturday, May 13th. And then uh, I hope you ladies are preparing for a wonderful brunch. These guys have already are planning uh, on serving you on Mother's Day. We're getting your gifts ready to celebrate all of our ladies in the house. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, all right. Let's look here in Luke, the first chapter. I wanna, we're going to, next few Wednesdays, we're going to be talking about revival. And um, I couldn't come up with a better title. I'm just, revival for me is the manifest presence of God's Spirit resting upon the body of Christ, transforming them into His likeness and image. That's the best off-the-cuff translation or definition I can give to revival. I'm, I am a revivalist at heart, which means I believe emphatically and radically in the moving of God's Spirit. I just don't think we can see the things that need to happen in the world today without the moving of the Spirit of God. But when he comes, he brings change. He brings change. And he brings radical change. And we are thankful for that because we can't be changed otherwise. Father, we come before you once again and ask for the, the empowering, the anointing upon my lips and my heart to deliver and upon our ears and hearts to receive your message for this hour. Lord, we've seen the desperation in our nations, and Lord, we know without a move, Lord, there are going to be too many that perish. And Father, we need, in our world, Lord, we need a move of the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Let's look here in Luke 1. Um, started this series on a Sunday morning a few weeks ago, and the Lord just kept moving during the services, so I couldn't get very far with it, so I thought, I'm going to shift it to a Wednesday. So, anyway... <laughs> All right, let's look, at, let's look at Luke 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zechariah, of the division of Abijah. His wife was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was, this is Zechariah, while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Let's stop right there just a minute. Let's try to get an idea of what's going on. So it lots were cast. In our in our definition of that, maybe something that would we could relate it to, there was a roll of the dice. And if it was your number, you went in. Incense was offered in the morning, in the evening. And the priest is in there by themselves. They take a coal, a live coal from off the altar, and they place it into their censer. It's, it's got the, 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 the incense. Uh, they carry that coal inside to the incense of altar, and they're going to put that coal on there, and it's going to fill up that temple with incense. But when he walks in, there's an angel standing there. Come on. You walk in, and what you're expecting is an empty room, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an encounter there. So Zechariah saw him and was troubled. And fear fell upon him. 
But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for the, your prayer is heard. Aren't you glad God hears prayers? A prayer that he had long since prayed, but a prayer that he prayed. And your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, speaking of Jesus, in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I want to pick up. First off, before we get into the heart of this, I want to pick up on the comparison. There is a comparative motive or comparative moment and a comparative ministry. What I mean by that is you have John is likened unto Elijah, the same spirit, the same calling. And just like in the days of Elijah, Israel was in that present state. It was a world filled with turmoil. Is our world filled with turmoil? It was a world that was, was turned away from worshiping the covenant God. And so we have what we see here is there was a desperate time. It was dramatic or, or drastic measures that took place because there was a drought in the land. In the days of Elijah, there was a physical drought. In the days of John, there was a spiritual drought. I believe with all of my heart there's a spiritual drought in many places in our world today. There's a, there's a places of, of, of spiritual drought. But what we see in the midst of that is God gathered attention around the altar. And there was a demonstration of God. And so what I believe is when the world becomes very desperate... And there are circumstances all around us that seem very dire, and there's going to need to be something happen in order to change the course of humanity. There will be a demonstration of the power of God. What I'm saying to you is that we are ripe and ready for a move of God. Now, now John the man, he came baptizing with water. As he, the man, I believe he was would say to you and I, I'm baptizing you under repentance. I'm baptizing you and declaring to you what God has done. But there's one coming after me. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's going to tell you what he's going to do. It's not just going to be about what he's done. It could be what he is going to do inside of you and inside of the nations. Now, church, we got to get a hold of this if we're going to see the direction and the purpose that God has intended for an outpouring of the Spirit. Amen? we got to understand the need and the purpose. The first off, the need is evident. But we got to understand the purpose, and we'll find the purpose in Joshua 3.15. You don't have to turn there. I just want to, just as a, as a starting in these messages, I want us to grasp this. It says, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of our harvest. The Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. What that tells me, church, and what the Lord revealed to us in prayer several weeks ago, is that when the Spirit begins to move, it's time to harvest. The Spirit overflows all the time of harvest. Why did they have to wait in the upper room at Pentecost for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Because when the Spirit began to move, it was time for harvest. Now, we need to understand, church, the reason for the longing for the Holy Spirit is not just, it, it, there is a great benefit of enjoying the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, there comes alteration, there comes transformation in the presence of God to us, the people of God. 
In fact, you cannot bring the presence of God into any other, any other house of any other God and that God stand. If you don't believe me, go ask Dagon. Dagon fell and his head was decapitated. They tried to stand him back up, and the next day his head's gone. His authority has been broken. Bring the presence of God in here, and it'll, he'll take care of the sin. Amen? I, I'm not interested in cleaning you up. I'm interested in bringing you into the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit will do the cleaning. He'll do the transforming. He'll do the changing. He'll, he will alter your nature. He will alter your behavior. He'll alter everything about you. Amen? So we got to understand the, the, the outpouring of the Spirit of God is not to validate me as a minister. It's not to elevate me as a person of God. The outpouring of the Spirit of God is so that souls may come into the kingdom of God. I love manifestations. I do. But that's not my primary focus. If, if you fall down, that's great. If you stand up, that's great. What I'm interested in is what happens in your spirit. What happens, what is God doing on the inside of you? That's what our focus is. And we want the Spirit of God to move in such a way that he begins to draw souls into the kingdom of God. Begins to change and transform. He will change us most definitely. But he's also going to change those that step into his presence. So we got that clarified. But when the Spirit of God moves, and this is what I hope we, we come to understand in, these, in the course of this study, is that we are wholly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not the, the works of man's hand. We are participants in the move of God as being willing to receive the, the Spirit of God. But when the river begins to flow, he starts taking away all the things that are standing in his way. But we, we have to walk as people dependent upon the Holy Spirit in every avenue of our life. I cannot be the husband I need to be without the Holy Spirit. I cannot be the father I need to be without the Holy Spirit. I cannot be the grandfather I need to be or a brother I need to be or a minister without the Holy Spirit. If I mess up, it's because I'm doing it, not God. Amen? But just hold on. I'm a work in progress. Amen? But what I want us to see is that there are some very clear markers of the move of God. And this is what I'm interested in. The very clear markers of the move of God. Now we see here in this passage that John will be a Nazarite from birth. How do we know that? Because in verse 15, it shall, he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He was a Nazarite. You will find that in Numbers 6. I won't take time to read it to you, but in Numbers 6, oh, well, maybe I will. Number 6. <laughs> then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is a Nazarite vow. It's not... It's not because they were from Nazareth, okay? Uh, uh, Nazarite. Nazareth, Nazar means literally consecrated. I'll tell you about that in just a minute. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, Whether a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take a vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine. Similar drink, he shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from the seed to the skin. Nothing from the vine. All the days of his vow, his separ separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean even to even for his father or for his mother, for his brother or his sister, when they die. Because he's separated to God in his own 
is on his head. His separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation shall be holy. Now, individuals could take a stint, a start and a finish, to be a Nazarite. We see in Scripture there are three Nazarites from birth. We see Samuel, priest, prophet. We see Samson, judge, deliverer. And we see John, priest, prophet. We see these individuals and we see from birth they were Nazarite. I just honestly hold to the belief that you and I, children of God, we should be Nazarites from birth. We should be separated, consecrated, sacred, and devoted unto the Lord. See, Nazareth, it means that to be a Nazarite literally means that you are consecrated, separated, one devoted to God. That sounds like the Christian walk to me, doesn't it, you? One who is consecrated, it is to make or declare sacred. When you come into the kingdom of God, you are declared sacred. You are made a sacred individual. What does it mean to be sacred? It means you are set aside for the work of God. You have been separated from the crowd. You have been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light. And you are distinctively different than those that are around you. Mm. See, we cannot declare a move of the Spirit of God within us and around us until there's some distinction between us and those who we used to be. Amen? I'm not who I was. I'm a new creature in Christ. I, I've, I've, been, I've been sanctified. I've been separated. And it takes a little bit of time to understand that. See, time is the tell-all. Time will declare what's, what's inside there. It's time. When you start at a point and, and, and you make that vow before God and you say, Lord, I'm, I'm sanctified, separated, set apart under your purpose. Now, how did this come about? This came about by the moving of the Spirit of God. I want us to get this, church. When God begins to move, you don't have to clean them up. God will clean them up. But there will be some cleanup that takes place. And, and so the cleanup comes from the dependence upon the Holy Spirit because because he's now living on the inside of you and now he is separating you from the from the person you were he's taking the lies out of you and he's putting truth inside of you he's taking the he's taking the junk out of you and he's putting he's infusing within you the very knowledge of who he is on the inside of you distinctively different distinctively different now, I'm not going to argue the rights and the wrongs of alcoholic beverages. I'm not going to police you, and I'm not going to show up to your house and look in your fridge. <laughs> if I go to Juan's house, I'm going to ask for a tamale, but that's it, okay? <laughs> but see, it's not my place to police. It's the Holy Spirit's place to police. See, there's, there's no good I've ever seen coming from alcohol on a personal level, from myself, from my father, from my grandfather, as far as I know from his father. But every generation that I came up through indulged in alcohol, and it brought nothing but destruction, heartache, and despair. It was, it was not a good thing. But see, notice here that there's such a separation as a Nazarite that it was so separate that they couldn't even, even get close to something that potentially could ferment to cause them to become drunk. Not the grape seed, not the vinegar, not a raisin, nothing that would potentially cause them to become intoxicated in the things of this world. Why? Because they were separated. See, they were separated. Here John is, and he was a Nazarite from birth, just like Samson and just like Samuel. Now, Samson is the poster child for what not to do. Don't drink. He has a drunk. He has a he has a, a a beer party. He has a wine party. He shows up and they get drunk. If you read the context of the scripture, if you read down the parties he held involved alcohol. 
He wasn't supposed to be doing that. Don't touch the dead. He goes, and I'm, I'm sorry, I had, to, I had to argue with our ultra-Orthodox Jew, but I still believe the reason why he didn't go tell his mom and daddy where he got that honey. You know the story? He goes out, and there's a lion comes after him. He kills the lion with the bare hands. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? It'd be great if he just left it there. But oh no, the bees come along and they create over a course of time as it begins to decompose. The bees come along and they build a hive inside of there. And so they've been there so long that now honey has formed. And on the passing by, he sees the dead thing and he says, oh, look how sweet that dead thing is. And he goes over and he picks up the honey and he brings it and gives it to his mom and dad. Where'd you get it? Oh, you know, from the getting place. He didn't bother to tell them where he got it. You know, and death is sweet for a minute, and we'll talk about death in just a minute. But we're, as we look here, what we see is that, oh, his ultimate betrayal. Delilah's going to get you, boy. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not going to be good. She came after you once, she's going to come after you again and again and again. And if you keep laying your lap, head in her lap, you will get destroyed. The saddest verse in all the scriptures. He knew not when the Spirit had departed him. But he rallied at the end. And he said, oh Lord, after they gouged his eyeballs out and they hung, stripped him and stuck him against the pillars... Oh, what a horrible, horrible. He's supposed to be a deliverer in Israel. He's supposed to be a, a, a judge in Israel. He, he's, supposed to, he's supposed to be moved by the Spirit of God, but instead he, he moved by himself. Lost in his own world. Lost in his own lust. Just doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And so he puts his hands to the pillar and he prayed, oh God, let me have vengeance for my eyes and the loss that I had. And the Bible says that his hair grew back. There wasn't strength in his hair. See, the hair was the, was the outward demonstration that he was different. It was the covering. It was, a, it was not a common thing for a man to have beautiful locks of hair like Joseph. Just teasing, joking. If you don't know, he's a Nazarite. No, I'm just kidding. But it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a common thing for men to have hair in those days. But when they saw a person with, a, with their hair of, of great length, they knew that, look, they are outwardly, they are consecrated to the Lord. They have been dedicated and separated for the call of God. There should be the glory of God resting upon the church in so much that when you walk on the workplace, you may not have your hair down the middle of your back, but you have the glory of God so resting on you that you are so dependent upon the Holy Spirit that people can recognize. I don't know what it is, but there's something distinctively different about them, and it doesn't come without the presence of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come without the glory of God resting in the house that he has built. It will not come until he shows up. It's interesting to me that the three Nazarites that, that were born from birth were all, they all came through barren wounds. There was a supernatural intervention that took place. They, they had reached the, the place beyond the, the, the physical ability, my God, get this church, beyond their physical ability to produce life. But life was produced in that mother's womb because there was an intervention. You cannot produce the fruits of the Spirit without the Spirit who produces the fruits. Amen? You've got to have the Spirit of God moving in what we see here, church, and what we need to know. And we're not standing on the, on the seat of judgment. Understand, what I'm looking for is, as, I, as a pastor, I look for a fruit inspection. I want to see when I go to that fruit stand if I'm hungry for some, for some envy apples. Anybody ever had an envy apple? My new favorite apple. My gosh, those things are so sweet. They're like candy. If you hadn't have one, they're expensive, but you can go get one, and it's an envy apple. When I go to that, go to Walmart, and I'm looking at that fruit stand on that slate out there, I want to see if there's some envy.
envy apples. I don't want that red delicious. I don't want that, uh, that celery. Give me that apple. You hear me? See, as ministers of the gospel, you look for the fruit. That's not judgment. That's scripture. You shall know them by the fruit they produce. I've had people come in, and people come in this house, people come in other house, and, and I've invited Missy to come back here to minister. Missy's got a fantastic testimony. She was an exotic dancer. God delivered her miraculously. She's been on teen, staff at Teen Challenge for years, and, and she's got an incredible testimony. She was, a, she was in a, a relationship with another woman when she came to our church. God, God, God broke all the bondages off of her. She married a, 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 a man named Bob. Uh, they both have worked at Teen Challenge for years. And, uh, but, but Missy came in, and it's like, now the ladies walked alongside her. I tried to, you know, just walked with her. But my, my philosophy is this. Don't start putting a bunch of rules and regulations on somebody. Amen? Because I, uh, I, I can't know what's, what progress is taking place. I, I won't know what's happening when they, when, when they take place. If you cuss at your friends, don't cuss around my kids, okay? I'm just asking, okay? I don't particularly care to hear for it, but if, if it's cussing in your heart, then just go for it, all right? Not in here, please. Not in God's house. Let me be careful. Okay, just quit cussing. It's all right. You're not doing yourself any favors. You're making yourself look silly. But you hear what I'm saying? When you start trying to clean people up ahead of the Holy Spirit, you start losing out on the fruit. You start losing out on the progress. You start losing out on what God's doing in somebody's life. If you're a grouchy old cuss, be a grouchy old cuss, but keep coming up in here, and God will make you a happy-go-lucky. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Let God, let God be the influence on that, on that individual. I'm interested in you depending upon the Holy Spirit. And you can know when God's moving because a person will begin to change. It's usually not dramatic changes. Sometimes we have some, some starts with some pretty dramatic changes. But usually the changes are subtle because they're walking day after day after day after day. And then you look at them and you understand, wait a minute, you are distinctly different than where you started. I see some sacredness in your life. I see some, I see some separation from where you were to where you are. You, you may not be entirely in the light, but you're certainly not in as much darkness as you were before. See, we have here. See, the Nazarite was to be sober. Be sober. I can't tell you. I've I used to think I was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But the older I get, the more desperate I become for Him. The greater the need of His influence in my life, the greater callings that He has upon me, the more I need Him. Don't diminish your walk with God because you're dependent upon Him. Rejoice in the fact because that's what it takes. Don't think you can figure it all out because just the moment you get it all figured out, God, the, the covers will be jerked right out from, the rug will be jerked right out from under you. You're like, what am I going to do now? Do what you've always done. Go after God and be dependent upon him. Don't trust your own heart even. Don't trust your own heart. Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to ask him to help you to stay sober. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Help me to stay away from the even the very things that potentially could cause me to become inebriated. Amen? If there's a slight chance that I'm going to drink that down and it's going to cause some sort of a intoxication or cause me to become loopy, then, Lord, let me leave it alone. Amen? I should tell a story of my buddy Lonnie, but I'm not going to. Okay, I will. I have one person. I'm just looking for that one person. He gets on the flight. Now, if you know my, my friend Lonnie, you'll, you'll, this will resonate with you. 
He's on a flight to Africa with his, he's been a minister of the gospel for, I don't know, 35, 40 years. Seen miraculous things. He'll be traveling to Mexico and he, he just sees the, I mean, he's literally seen crippled people get up and start walking. He's seen deaf ears, all this stuff. Well, he's on a flight to Africa and he's got these hearing aids now and he, I don't think he had them in that day. And he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen to his son and to the waitress and uh, the stewardess as they're flying over to Africa. And this guy beside him gets a drink and he said, man, I want, I want what he's got. Give me this drink. Give me, the, give me whatever he's got. And his son back there was saying, no. Justin was saying, no, 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 daddy, you don't want that. No. He wasn't listening. So he gives him the drink. He thought it was red juice. He slams it down. It's wine. Oh, no. oh, oh. He starts spitting it up. Oh, this stuff is burning me alive. What is? What did you just give me? I don't know what relevance that has to anything. It's just a funny story. It's like, Lonnie, why don't you listen? You're Nazarite. Stay away. Be sober. See, the very appearance, anything that would... Anything that would cause you. Here's a lot of things that can intoxicate us in the world today. It has nothing to do with alcohol. Sometimes it's just that social media. You get so engrossed in your thoughts by the things going on around you that you leave no room for truth. You get so inebriated by the things around you, the chaos and the worry and the cares, that you can become stumbling in your walk. Let me encourage you, as the word of the Lord tells us, as we see, we got to ask the Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me into all truth. First Thessalonians 5 and verses uh, 1 through 11, but concerning the times and the season, brethren, you have no need that I should write you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. For when he says, peace, safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that the day shall overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light. Hear this, children of God. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, are we of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, edifying one another just also are doing. First Peter 5, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Folks, we got to be sober. we got to be sober in our thoughts, sober in our actions. We've got to not just walk the walk, we've got to live the talk. Three things I want to leave with you tonight as we look. As the Bible, as we see as a Nazarite, they're never to touch the dead. Steer clear of death. Steer clear of death. This is all dependence upon the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How do we know our sonship is is secure in God because the Spirit cries, Abba, Father, from us. And the Son, the Spirit leads the sons and the daughters of God. Amen? And so the Spirit will never lead us to the places that's going to cause our spiritual death. Amen? I got to thinking about that. Steer clear of death. See, if a close family member of a Nazarite died, they could not touch that body. They couldn't help with the burial. Hebrews, they would bury their dead within 24 hours. 
There's no embalming. There's no cremation, just straight the dirt. So, but if someone died, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't, he couldn't touch or his vow would be broken. It seems kind of peculiar as we look at it from that mindset, but it would make them spiritually, ceremonially unclean. The message it's supposed to speak to us is that we need to steer clear of the things that would bring death. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. See, when you are born into the kingdom and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, you don't have to tell people to eat right anymore spiritually because their tastes have changed. You, you lose the taste for death. You lose the vocabulary for death. You get tired of calling yourself what you are not, and you start calling yourself what God says you are. You, you, you stop declaring over your children things that you, just, you didn't have the power to stop declaring before, but now all of a sudden the Spirit lives inside of here. Now he's like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not reproducing this thing. We're changing this thing. I, I, you start speaking life over them. You start speaking encouragement over them. You start declaring to them what I say about them. And now all of a sudden, instead of growing up with lies, they grow up with truth. And truth changes things. It makes us free. It sets us free. So when the Spirit comes, he changes our taste buds. That we no longer like the taste of death in our mouth. I, I'm telling you, the, the, the thought of dipping snuff again chokes me. <laughs> the thought of drinking the smell of a cigarette nauseates me. <laughs> if I had to drink a bottle of wine or a bottle of whiskey, I don't believe I could do it. I'm just like, blur. <laughs> Smoke another joint? No, thank you, ma'am. Amen. That, that stuff is gone. <laughs> Gone. I don't have a, my taste have changed. My taste buds have changed. I don't want that, that stuff anymore. Nor do I want the vileness that the enemy would put in me to speak death over someone else or myself or my family. My taste buds have changed. See, that's what we're supposed to get out of that Nazarite. We've got to steer clear of death. Now, Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ get this, that the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve a living God. See, so he changes my taste buds, and then he changes my eyesight to where I stop focusing on what I can or cannot do and I start focusing upon my relationship with him and I don't try to keep working my way to the cross I just start walking from the cross amen see those dead works if you're living on your spirituality to your your behavioral modification to get you in you're not, you you got you might fall a little short because <laughs> works will always leave you a mile from the cross you got to go to the cross and you got to start from there <laughs> you, you got to start from the completed work of God not from trying and and not trying to complete the work of God through your righteousness you got to walk in his righteousness and and so what he does is he cha changes my taste and then he changes my eyesight he changes the way I see things and I'm not dependent if I find myself not measuring up uh, instead of condemning myself uh, I turn to the Holy Spirit and say Holy Spirit I'm gonna need you on this one I need you today Lord I don't know how to do that I need Lord I'm responding in faith I'm looking for some grace I'm looking for some empowering not going to come from what my ability yes I will be involved I will step where you tell me to step I will say what you tell me to say Lord God I will trust you and seek you and believe that you will change me that you will do what needs to be done but I can't do it myself and I know it needs to be done Do not be unequally yoked together, believers, for the fellowship, 
For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty God. He changes my taste. He changes my focus. And he changes my fellowship. Andrea said it Sunday, and I'll just say it to you because the same thing happened to me. I didn't have to separate from my friends when I got saved. I didn't have to. I stepped out of darkness into light, and they didn't like the light that I was bringing into their darkness. So the closer I would get to them with my light, exactly, they would rear up. These, these guys I walked with and talked with and lived with and, and, and hung out with and as we journeyed together and, and just did life together and fun and, 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 and we called it fun. It was self-destructive, but it was fun in the moment because we didn't know any better. So we're walking along and then whenever I got saved, it was like they became, I became an alien to them. Our fellowship was not the same. And I would chase them down and try to fellowship with them and not to do the things that they were doing, but I would try to, hey, what's going on? Click. <laughs> but, but, yeah, click. <laughs> Enough time and space go on, and they look at you like they never even knew you. When you lived your life with them for decades. You know why? Because they don't know you. Because they don't know what's going on inside of you, and what's going on inside of you scares them because they don't understand it. See, walk in the light as he is in the light, and you have fellowship one with another. I will close with this for those of you who are wondering. I told her today at lunch, I thought, I got used to that. I said, I may not preach more than 15 minutes tonight. I've just got used to that Wednesday night where we were tag teaming. But I lied. So, <clears throat> anybody ever had a personal pity party? Come on. You whined, you were blaming, you were just blah, 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 blah. I found out God didn't like that talk. <laughs> so I'm there, and this went on for a little bit. And it's my first pastorate. I had all these people. I, huh? They really hated me, you know. I sprayed if I caught fire, they wouldn't throw any water on me. They'd just turn and walk away. <laughs> I'd always know the ones that were mad at me because I'd walk up and shake their hand and they wouldn't look at me. So I just made a game out of it. <laughs> I'd just go up and shake their hand and I'd find out they'd been talking about me. Maybe that's why they hated me. I don't know. <laughs> I'm this young pup and I'm just aggravating the snot out of them. And so I'm just whining to the Lord. <laughs> God, nothing's going right. You've been there. There was some real things going on, real things that are happening. And I'm there, and as clear as I've ever heard the Lord's voice, he corrected me. Even his corrections are sweet, you know what I mean? Now, I wanted to crawl under the, the altar. But in fact, I think I did. I was in the back of the church, and I crawled under the, under the pew. But he said, son, if you want to walk with me, I can only fellowship with you in the light. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and you have fellowship one with another. See, so many times we go looking for God, and he's there all along. We're standing over here in our shadow of darkness, and he's right there in light. He's right there beside us, walking talking we're just not listening so when I stepped over into the light I started listening to his voice communicating with his word my fellowship see 
I was living in this place of complaint and it wasn't pleasing the Lord. And so it's taught me through the years when I schedule one of those wine fest, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> those wine tastings <laughs> that has nothing to do with grapes. <laughs> used to aggravate her to death every time we go to the store. I say, you want some wine? She's like, what are you talking about? I say, you want some wine? Wah! You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know, it's lame-o. I had dad jokes before I was a dad. So, you could do an about-face today, child of God. See, because when you came into the kingdom with him, when you stepped in out of darkness, you stepped into light. He wants to fellowship with you. And see, revival brings distinctive change, distinctive difference. And see, the Holy Spirit, does he never wants us to lose dependence upon him. He doesn't condemn us for the things that we do. Be careful how I say that. Let me say it this way. Scratch that. He's always there ready to help if we will reach out for him. Amen? Because he's not going to condone us continuing in those places. Amen? Distinctively different. I want to see the glory of God resting upon every individual in this place. And you be distinctively different. And distinctively dependent upon God. And that people look at your life and they want to know, why are you different? You got those, that long flowing glow in your life. Where did that come from? How do I get it? I've heard it said before, you've got to be like the world to win the world. I wholly say no. The world doesn't want someone going in the same direction they're going. They want somebody to say, stop, there's a better way. His name is Jesus. Amen? Stand if you will. Stand if you will. Father, we love you and we need you. Magnify your name, O oh God. Lord, we want revival personally, corporately, nationally. Lord, we want to see a move of your spirit. We want to see, O oh Lord God, such an overwhelming, radical change. God, never let us tire. hearing the message of hope. God, I pray for those that are in this house tonight, that are in this place, Lord, and they're just looking at the fragmented pieces, Lord God, trying to make sense of it. I ask, Lord, that you would reach down right now and comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, as I know their hearts cry. Lord, I can't do this anymore. I ask you, Lord, tonight to bear witness, Lord, with this word that they can literally feel a tangible touch of their Father's arm wrapping around them and embracing them tonight. Lord, we can't do it without you. We're not meant to do it without you. Lord, help us to be sober in our thoughts. Help us to be separated, Lord, in our behavior. Help us, Lord God, that our taste will change, that our focus will change, that our fellowship will change. Lord, we love you, and Father, we need you, Lord, tonight. Jesus, Jesus' name. When I come, Will I find faith on earth? 
when the Lord comes, will he find those who fix their heart and faith upon him? I say yes. Father, yes. Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In this atmosphere tonight, I want us to... We're going to pray for the children's home in Pleasant Hill. But not just the children's home. We're going to pray for the missions emphasis in our district on family first. I want us to pray. Our our children's home, they're trying to, Pleasant Hill, they're trying to build a a new um, cafeteria and a capital campaign. So let's pray for them. God would move, but let's let's pray for our kids. We have another ministry called instead of phased out, it's called phased in. In the foster care system, when a child comes of age, 18 years of age, they're given their belongings and they're they're set out. It's a tragic, tragic thing. They either end up on the streets, on drugs, sex traffic, or suicide. We have a ministry in Wichita Falls started in a church called Phased In. But what it tells me right now is there's so many, there's such an overwhelming need even in the foster care system that there's there's not houses enough to bring kids in. That's how disruptive the world is. So when I say we need revival, folks, we got to have it. We're going to lose an entire generation if we've not lost one already. Father, we're asking, Lord, there's such a move of your spirit, Lord, that, my God, there's no more need for these programs. Because families have been restored. But Lord, we know the need is there right now. So Lord, I'm praying, Father, for the children to be rescued, Lord. For the children, Lord God, to come into a relationship with you. At an early, early age. And Lord, that you will map, Father God, the course of their life. And that, Lord, that you would... Use the body of Christ, Lord God, to reach this generation. Father, they have been getting so much twisted understanding of who they genuinely are. I pray, Father God, for revival in families. And Lord God, for children to be reached. Bless the children home, Lord God, with all the provision needed, Lord. Lord, to build the facility, Lord God, that would accommodate their kids. Lord, bless the gift and the giver tonight. And Lord, we pray for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you. Thank you tonight.